This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. We are now almost four months into quarantine life due to COVID-19. Some cities have started to open back up, with some being faster than others. Unfortunately, this pandemic isn't over, but the world is slowly adjusting to new lifestyles. On this episode, we are going to talk about how entertainment has been us through these times, and joining me is Royce Benson, a guest I assume you all know since his last appearance ranking the top 24 films is our most popular episode of ContraZoom yet. Thank you, Royce, for taking the time out of your newfound celebrity life to come back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. It's always an honor. (laughs) I had to. After uh, after how popular you proved, it would be foolish not to. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's, that's quite a compliment. I'm, I'm just excited that uh, a lot of people watch that, or listen to that episode rather, and yeah. they enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I want to start off by talking in general about how your consumption of film and TV has, has changed at all during this quarantine. Uh, are you spending most of it on rewatches or media that is new to you? Um, well, I mean, for the most part, since quarantine kind of started, I never like stopped working. So like right now I'm working full time in fast food. And so that's been keeping me pretty busy. But like when I've had off time, I've been watching a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say I'm doing as many rewatches as I am trying to watch new content. Uh, I recently got Netflix a couple months back because of quarantine. And so I've been using that to kind of watch, mostly just kept catch up on, on movies and TV shows that I've missed out on here and there. And so that's been pretty fun just because it's for the first time I've actually had time to kind of, you know, get into things that have been like on my watch list for a while. That I just haven't been able to get to. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've sort of been similar where I've been able to watch basically anything that you know, I was like, oh, yeah, eventually I want to get to that one day, but never really finding the time uh, due to, you know, new releases or, or other things I want to check out more. So just like eventually I want to get to these sort of things. Uh, and, and this has sort of given me the ability to sort of watch anything and everything. And it's actually I'm now getting to the point where I'm not someone who usually likes to rewatch movies all that often, like Watching a movie once every five years is more than enough for me. If I can go like a decade between watches, I'm probably completely fine for the most part. But there's some movies where I'm like, yeah, I haven't checked this out for a while. So I uh, might as well rewatch it since I've basically seen everything else on my watch list. No, yeah, that totally makes sense. I myself have gone back and there's a couple of films that are actually on my like watch list, for instance, like that I've decided like, oh, it's been a couple of years. I should go back and watch it. I can't imagine waiting a whole decade, though, before watching a film, just because, I don't know, I'm not even like 20 yet, so I can't even imagine that concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's more so like things that I liked when I was either a teenager or in college at, at acting school and stuff like that, where I was like, yeah, I loved it then, but I've had no real inclination to go back and revisit it just because... I'm usually like, oh my god, there's something I haven't I haven't seen yet. I need to watch that. And there's so much other stuff I haven't seen yet. I need to learn more and watch more things I haven't seen. So that's the, usually the reason why I don't go back and rewatch stuff all the time. Uh, which is kind of weird because, like, you know, you talk to most people, they're like, oh yeah, this is my favorite movie. I watch it at least like two or three times a year. I'm like, oh, my favorite movie? No, no, I need at least two years between viewings. <laughs> no, I'd agree with that. I would say that. I don't know if you watch like 
a, a favorite film of yours, like a couple of times. I mean, everyone can do what they want, obviously, but at least for me, and I agree with your, what we, with what you're saying, but like, if you watch like your favorite film, like two or three times a year, I don't know. I feel like, you know, you kind of, your, your enjoyment of that film kind of gets ruined after a little bit because, because you enjoy that film so much, there, there's something endearing about that film that makes you kind of want to revisit it every once in a while, not as much trying to, because if you rewatch it, I feel like you'd be kind of kind of numb to it, and then you kind of lose the magic, mm. if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. I, mean, I think that's why I, I'm in the similar boat. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, I know a lot of my favorite films that I have, I usually try to wait. I'll maybe watch them maybe once a year. That's kind of my policy. Not like any particular time any year, but uh, like in like within like a certain season of the year, but like at least once throughout like that entire year, I'll go back and revisit it. And uh, I think that's a good way of kind of portioning out those viewings. I think for me, it sort of ends up becoming background noise at a certain point. If you're watching it so much, you're just having it on for the sake of familiarity, where like you were saying enjoying the surprises or appreciating maybe moments that you've forgotten. That's sort of the, the way I, I look at revisiting favorite films is wanting those elements of surprise where I'm like, Oh, I completely forgot about this little moment where it's nothing. It's not the big memorable scene or the quotable lines. It's just those little moments of magic. Yeah. And then another thing I'd like to add on to that too, is uh, with those types of films in particular, I feel like the more memorable ones are the ones that change for you every time you like watch them. Like, for instance, like your favorite film could have like come out like like you w- watched it for the first time 10 years ago. And if you're still watching it today and it's still affecting you, maybe not necessarily in the same way, but you're seeing new elements you didn't see before, kind of like what you were saying. Uh, I think those are really like those could be kind of counted as like the greatest films because they're the ones that they're not stagnant They're They can be, in a sense, nostalgic and there's nothing wrong with like having nostalgic films because certain movies take you back to maybe a certain place in your life at where you like related to those a lot more in a sense, but that doesn't really watching them years later. It doesn't take anything away from the film. You're just seeing the film through a new lens and perspective as you're kind of getting older. I'd say. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. Now I think all this talk about favorite movies, do you have any specific ones that you've watched in the last few months that either were, were new to you? And then also on that same, if you, there's anything that you've rewatched that you've certainly enjoyed. Uh, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking through my diaries on letterbox, my diary on letterbox right now. Just, uh, cause I've been watching a ton of stuff. What I did do, interestingly enough, is a couple weeks back, I, uh, I did the seven day free trial for HBO max i think it's called their new streaming service and i like for like a whole week i binged through all the harry potter movies because i've actually like i never read the books or watched the movies when they came out like as a kid and so i had heard things about it you know obviously a lot of people when i told them i was going to watch them they're like you got to read the books first um and i haven't had time to yet i do want to but just kind of watching through watching the films for the first time because i'd only seen clips here or there like them back to back I thought that was kind of a that was a really interesting experience and like I ended up enjoying the series quite a bit especially since like being able to I was basically watching one film each day kind of for seven days like a whole week I guess and that was like a really cool experience because you know you're able to able to see the evolution 
of the actors obviously growing up as well as like the changing of the guard kind of when it when it came to like the different filmmakers that took over and how their styles kind of really um shaped what the tone of each film was and so that was really fascinating i would say that was probably like the biggest the largest undertaking i've had since quarantine besides that it's just really been like a mixture between like stuff that i waited a couple years to see and i'm like oh okay i'll watch that or some like new releases here or there on netflix and stuff like that so going back to the harry potter franchise do you have a favorite and least favorite of the group i've been looking into what people have been saying is their favorite and least favorite after i watched all of them um and i'd have to say my favorite i know i'm kind of i might be in the minority because of what i've seen online but i really enjoy the order of the phoenix Hmm. that was kind of like the one where i was like dang this movie slapped (laughs) like at the end of it i was like that was it was so it was so much fun and it's not that like any of the films in particular are like bad i didn't give most of them most of them i actually gave pretty positive ratings to they were just different like the the first two uh the um sorcerer's stone and chamber of secrets for instance they were kind of like the whole tone was felt kind of disney and was kind of like childlike but then like once you get to like azkaban you know who uh which alfonso coron directed and that was amazing that he got to do one of them like the tone changed because they kind of like as the stakes rose and i thought that was really neat how each director kind of um evolved from the last um least favorite i didn't really like goblet of fire that much it was just i don't know it seemed kind of like the in-between. I'd like to make an announcement. Hogwarts Castle will not only be your home this year, but home to some very special guests as well. Please welcome our friends from the north, the proud sons of Domstrang, and now the lovely ladies of Bo Battens. Yeah, I mean, I like the last two parts of the Deathly Hollows. I thought it was interesting. I read an article how the Harry Potter, by like putting part one and part two, that kind of started a trend from films later on. Like, I think it was replicated by like films like The Hunger Games. They did a part one, part two. Mm-hmm. Twilight did that um, too. Twilight. But they kind of, they were the ones that started that trend or like, you know, there were like, you know, companies were like, if we split them into two parts, we can make twice as much money, you know? So that's kind of where that, uh, I thought it was kind of fascinating that Harry Potter was, they kind of started that tradition in Hollywood. So it's interesting to see how trends kind of set. And that, I guess that was also back when young adult fiction was really big. I don't know if you could consider Harry Potter a young adult. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of is. Yeah. But like all those, you know, like there was that, period i don't know what was it like the not early two i mean kind of early 2000 slash mid i mean 2010 slash mid 2010s where it was like all those like young adult series were coming out and they were like trilogies and stuff and it's weird kind of looking back and that whole period of uh i guess what the trend was it sometimes takes a, a little while to to look back and, and notice those trends because you don't sort of think about it as much when you're in the moment. But then you look back, and you're like, oh, my God, there was like so many of these different franchises where they pumped out two, three, four movies and they're all trying to replicate this same 
success that the market was able to capture of the Harry Potter franchise, and and none of it did. You know, like the the Maze Runner movies. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones, um, but yeah, like you said, there, there's just so many of them from about 2005 to about 2015. Yeah, it was like it's crazy. It was like that whole decade practically. Mm-hmm. That was the trend. Yeah. Uh, as far as stuff I've been watching lately, I've I've been really pouring a lot of time and dedication into doing homework for for the podcast. So my last two episodes in particular, uh, I was I was doing shows that centered around celebrating black cinema and celebrating queer cinema. And so I just was like, I'm going to go head first into watching as many movies as I can to fill as many blind spots. So I saw some really interesting stuff as far as I didn't really get to talk about it on uh, on either podcast in depth, but as far as like celebrating black cinema, I knew I had some big um, gaps. So watching Boys in the Hood, Malcolm X, uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, which I now is one of my favorite movies, and an early uh, Denzel Washington noir film, uh, Chirac, a uh, whole bunch of stuff. Bunch of Spike Lee that I hadn't seen. I rewatched Do the Right Thing, which I adore that movie. So it was really cool being able to to fill in those gaps of, you know, I know the like the peak most popular movies, but like what are the ones underneath that are either weren't as popular or more influential but didn't get the recognition it may have deserved that we can now look back and see. So it was really cool doing that. And then as far as watching some queer films, like I've never seen Brokeback Mountain all these years, which is crazy. Uh, but then also watching YouTube Mama Tambien and All About My Mother. Um, I watched Atomic Blonde for the first time, which I'd never seen before. So it was really interesting. And, and a cult classic movie called But I'm a Cheerleader. So it was really cool being able to, to sort of fill in these gaps. And right now I'm actually working on an episode. I guess it doesn't really matter if I talk about it. Um going to do a Christopher Nolan episode in preparation for Tenet. So right now I'm in the process of rewatching all of Nolan's movies. I've, I've done, I think five of the, the 10 that he has out so far. And so it's been really fun game to revisit these movies. Uh, I've seen all of his movies except for following his very first film. And I haven't gotten around to that one yet, but I am excited to eventually get to it. No. Yeah. That's really neat. I've been, Kind of going off what you were saying, I've been trying to fill in some gaps too, uh, like especially with a lot of the crazy things that have been going on in our world right now. I've like I've decided to revisit, especially a lot of uh, I guess films that would be categorized under black cinema. Actually, I'm in a group with some college friends. We do like a a weekly film club where we like watch a film like any time that week, and then like every like weekend we'll like get on like a Zoom call. And we'll kind of discuss the film. So what we're doing for, we're like around the halfway point, but the last couple of weeks we've been watching like black cinema. So like we watch like do the right thing, um, black Klansman. So a decent amount of, uh, Spike Lee stuff, even some documentaries. Like I had never watched like, um, I'm, I am not your Negro. Uh, we're even going to try watching, I believe 13th next week, which I'm really excited to see. Uh, I was able to see five, the five bloods on my own on Netflix. That was a good time. And then when it comes to queer films, I'm trying to finally see or rewatch, I guess. I think this would be a good opportunity to watch Moonlight, which, uh, as we talked about on the podcast, uh, I hadn't watched in a couple of years. So I really want to go back and revisit that. And even I want to try watching a portrait of a lady on fire. I still haven't gotten to that, but I've really wanted to. Um, 
what else? Yeah, I don't know. The future's kind of open for me when it comes to, you know, things I'm checking out. That sounds really neat, though, of your Christopher Nolan series, um, especially like with Tenet, come out, Tenet coming out. And I'm sure we can roll that into what we're going to talk about later with like movie theaters and Tenet mm-hmm. in particular. But uh, yeah, it, I think right now it's the perfect opportunity to be going through his filmography right now. Yeah, I've basically sort of uh, a reoccurring show that I do every once in a while is I've, I've gone back since the beginning of the best picture winners and decade by decade, uh, taking those 10 movies, watching them just in that segment and then ranking them. And then we do an episode about that. And so the show I've been doing this show for five years now, I have one decade left, which is going to be, uh, 2008 to 2017, where I have a full 10 films because there's only been, uh, three movies since then. So I'm going to have to wait a while to do my next segment of that. So I figured I I need to pivot a little bit. And an idea I came up with is what are directors who have, uh, either exactly nine or 10 movies out right now that I can maybe do and maybe tie it in by the next time they have a movie, uh, so another one later on this year that I want to do is Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch is going to be his 11th film. So I'll, you know, look at his first 10 movies uh, in anticipation of that release. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. I, yeah, I keep forgetting. Yeah, the French Dispatch is coming out this year. I'm really excited about it, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that sounds like another great filmmaker to cover as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, another filmmaker, I don't know. I don't think he's had as many films, but one that seems to be still a little bit under the radar is uh, Denis Villeneuve. Because I know Dune's supposed to pop out at the end of this year, which is very exciting. And I think his filmography so far, even though he hasn't been making films for as long, mostly in the 2010. He's he been around made, longer. Like at least in the... Because he's got a bunch of French-Canadian films. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking through it right now. Yeah, he's had some short films. Mm-hmm. But it looks like he didn't really gain any prominence until the uh, 2010s. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's another filmmaker that, that, that I'm actually, I should probably try looking back on and watching some more of his stuff as well. I, I'm a big fan of his, and, uh, and another frequent guest, guest of the show, Sammy, is a big fan. And we're we're already planning another series that we do on here is uh, make remake. So I look at an original and a remake, and we're planning that for when Dune comes out to to look at both the new one and then the original um, David Lynch Dune film, mm-hmm. and then comparing them. That sounds yeah, that's a really awesome concept. That sounds like it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. Uh, but we're talking about all these, you know, movies coming out this year. Are there any from 2020 that you've, you've checked out and and been a fan of? I know the way it worked is at the beginning of the year, we were getting new releases and usually January, February, March is sort of the, the studio dumping ground where either it's movies that they thought might be award contenders, but turned out to not be, or just they're bad movies in general. And then we're kind of getting now into like the early summer season. And so all the like mid tier films are coming out on streaming services to either rent or buy that way. So it's kind of been all over the place. Netflix, I know, has scooped up a couple more films than they usually would have due to this. 
Uh, but is there anything in particular from this year that you've seen that you've you've enjoyed? Well, I mean, since the quarantine started, like all the films that they had to rent, uh, I haven't done any of them just because none of the films seem that interesting to me. The only film, the most notable film I think I've seen probably, at least pre-quarantine, was uh, The Invisible Man. Uh, Invisible Man, yeah. I really enjoyed that one a lot. Um, but besides that, no, I haven't really seen too many 2020 releases unless you count like Netflix films. So I've seen a couple of those as they've been um, circulating through. But yeah, like you said, it's the su- as we get into the summer, you know, there's a little bit more contention about like when theaters are going to reopen, and the, because uh, and you know because there's a couple blockbuster films lined up, and then of course as we get into the fall and winter where we start getting into like award season and how that's going to work out for the Oscars and stuff. Mm-hmm. So far for me, my favorite movie of the year is is Emma, the Jane Austen adaptation that I thought was was really good. Um, it stars uh, Anya Taylor Joy, who most people probably know from The Witch, the the main girl from that, and she does a great job in in this movie. That's kind of a light romantic comedy, and the costumes are just to die for with how beautiful they are. Dearly beloved friends, we gather here in this time of man's great innocence. 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 No. A couple other interesting ones. There was a documentary called Spaceship Earth that was a pretty wild one. It got a little bit of buzz when it came out about how in the early 90s there was a, a group of, um, I forget what they called themselves, like bionauts or something like that, where it was like these eight people locked themselves in a greenhouse that was supposed to be self-sustaining for two years to study the effects of what it would be like of putting like a some sort of a base on the moon or on Mars or wherever else space travel will go and sort of the difficulties and problems they might arise. How are they going to farm? How are they going to keep themselves entertained? What's, you know, their oxygen situation going to be like? And that's just like a wild documentary because like there's so many revelations that happen about the group that was organizing this. That was pretty crazy. So if you if you like documentaries, that's one that I'd certainly check out. I was impressed with the Guy Ritchie film, The Gentleman. Uh, I've, I was a huge fan of his early work. Snatch is one of my favorite movies. And since then, after Sherlock Holmes, the first Sherlock Holmes movie, I've been pretty disappointed with basically all of his movies. Uh, but I, I quite like this. It was a very much a return to form of his like lock, stock, snatch type of movies. And if you like those movies where it's pretty foul language, pretty intense um, violent scenes, but also people looking really cool at the same time. It's worth a check out. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I'll definitely take all of your recommendations. Those both sound like good films that I feel like kind of went under the radar, sadly, just because of quarantine as well. But yeah, those are definitely on my watch list. And I, de- I need to get to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're sort of mentioning it earlier, but, um, Earlier in, in June, theaters slowly started reopening and drive-ins became like the hottest thing since the 1960s with two movies battling for the top of the box office, that being 1993's Jurassic Park and 1975's Jaws, which earned $517,000 and $516,000 respectively. Uh, I love this idea about classic cinema being an attraction at a time like this. This is crazy. Yeah, and it's it's also kind of it's it's funny that both of them are Spielberg films, which really goes to show that uh, 
uh, Spielberg's charm has definitely not left the mind, uh, the minds of most viewers, especially today, you know, like his films are just as charming back then as they were now, whether you grew up in the eighties, which I didn't, or even my generation who's been introduced to his works. They're just, he makes the quintessential, you know, summer blockbuster films. They're a great time. You can bring your whole family to see them and you're just, but they're also going to be intellectual too. They're just a great mixture of mixture of, uh, you know, fun and entertainment and just, a great time at the cinema. So, and yeah, you know, I think it is really exciting that uh, drive-ins are coming back. There aren't too many around me. I think the closest one's like 50 miles from my house, but you know, now that I think about it, I wouldn't mind making the trek out there because I actually haven't been to one before. And I think that'd be a really neat experience, especially while we're waiting for uh, theaters to open up. It's interesting that you've never been to one where this, the town I grew up had one, and so my family and I would sometimes go to it. Usually, like, the kids' film would play first, and then they'd try to convince us to go to sleep. All the more mature film played afterwards, and of course, me and my brothers would, would not usually sleep during the second one and would watch that. Uh, so that, that I have fond memories of that. And I thought most of the drive-ins in southern Ontario, I live in Toronto, uh, had shut down. And in fact, one company basically owns all of them. And there's, I think, about four or five within like a two to three hour radius of, of where I live. And they all play the exact same movies, which is a bit unfortunate. Uh, I haven't really been liking their their selections for the most part, but they're finally starting to mix it up a bit. But they haven't been playing any classic films. I'd love to see Jaws uh, at the drive-in. I've seen it several mm. times it's probably my favorite spielberg film i actually have a poster on my wall that's a mashup between jaws and the life of aquatic which is one of my other favorite movies <laughs> there is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change without passion and without logic it lives to kill a mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. That would be that would be so cool. Like I, I think they I like that they're trying to play the movies that maybe didn't get the audience it got earlier this year when they were coming out. But at the same time, I'd love at least one screen to be dedicated to classics. Or if it's a double feature, you know, one new movie, one classic movie. Because so many people, whether, you know, you're my age or you're younger, even if you're older, maybe you, you never got a chance to see those movies when they first came out in theaters. And I think there's something special. There's a movie like, I've never seen 2001 Space Odyssey. That's probably my biggest miss that I've never seen that I know I get crap for when I tell other cinephiles. Uh, I'm purposely waiting to watch it on a theater screen. I don't want to watch it at home. So something like that, where I'm sure there's, there's other movies out there, whether it's ones that I can think of or, or someone else would want where they would want to watch it for the first time on a big screen. Like I've seen Lawrence of Arabia a couple times at home. I don't think it's the same movie if I were to see it on the big screen, especially something like at the drive-in. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I want to see, I wouldn't mind seeing 2001 on a big screen because the first time I saw it, sadly, was on a laptop. Mm. And I think that's kind of giving, giving that movie quite a disservice. Um, 
same thing. I, and then I only saw like Lawrence of Arabia, for instance, at like at my house, like on my TV or whatever. But yeah, you're right. There are certain films that are just they they demand to be seen on the big screen, you know. And it's even those older films. I think it would even be cool if like they showed films like the ones you mentioned, especially the ones like with the intermission, because I think a lot of people today they don't have patience when it comes to movies anymore it's like most films today clock in like what's the the average run time for a kid's movie like an hour and a half Mm -hmm. uh and then a rate and then uh an adult for films i guess you could call or a movie for adults is clocks in maybe at around two hours so people don't really have the patience for really as many of these like three even four hour long spectacles that were popular you know decades ago and I think it would be cool to even have like those films where like uh, you could watch the film and then it goes on intermission and then people can have break and stuff, you know, because it's like a it's not a film anymore. It's like an event, you know, it's something you drive out to and it's this spectacle that you can spend like the afternoon or even into the evening watching. And it becomes a little bit more. Uh, I guess, it, yeah, it becomes a little bit more special. And uh, and that's why. That's why I thought it was really interesting, especially with Christopher Nolan, who's been leading the charge with Tenet. I know we come, keep coming back to Tenet, but it's something a lot of people are talking about right now. But, you know, you know, Nolan has he keeps going on the record saying, like, you know, my film needs to be seen in theaters. I refuse to put it on a streaming service. And he has that very traditionalist mindset, which I think is great because he believes that, you know, films, especially with that kind of he's making I feel like. Nolan is making the big spectacle films that don't really we don't see anymore, especially in the summer. You know, big complex woven storylines that both cinephiles and casual audience members will really enjoy. And so I think that like once that releases, I think that's going to be like a big moment for at least cinema again because it'll be getting people back in the theaters and it's a film that's widely anticipated. And so I I'm really excited about it, even though I did hear the news today that. They moved it from, it was mid-July, and then it was like the end of July, and now they're aiming for like a mid-August release date. So it keeps getting pushed back because of, um, you know, health concerns, you know. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it sucks, but, you know, hopefully it will be released over the summer because I think it's, it's like at least my most anticipated of the summer. And once movie theaters open, I want to see that, like, I don't know about you, but I want to see it like on an IMAX screen or just some big theater, you know, because I'm just I've been dying to get back into the cinema again since all this started. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. He's the he's like one of the few directors where he is such an event. I feel like Denis Villeneuve is like slowly getting up to that level where, you know, just mm-hmm. their name alone is synonymous for uh, what you want your your cinema experience to be like. And if if Ten came out on on Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service, I probably would straight up avoid it. Honestly, like I want to see this movie in theaters. I don't want to watch it on my TV. I don't want to watch it on my laptop, and I definitely don't want to watch it on my phone. Yeah, you know. But I think people are starting being like not being allowed to go to the cinemas. I think there's a lot more. There might be a lot more appreciation for theaters now because there was this fear even before Corona started that you know, movie theaters were slowly dying because a lot of people, you know, they, they'd rather, you know, rent a film and then just watch it at their house or they'd rather just watch a film off streaming services. And there is something to be said for that. You know, it gives more accessibility for people. 
that if they're not close to theater chains where they're releasing certain films, it's a lot easier. Like service, you know, like Amazon has a great selection. So these streaming services, I think, are doing a lot of good. But I think there's something to be said about the theater experience. And it's something that I think people are really craving, especially now, you know. And I think it's it's people like Nolan and Villeneuve and, you know, you know, these rising filmmakers that are really going to get people back into theaters because they want to go back to these event films, I guess you could call them. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm completely agreeing with you there. Um, all this pushing back is also having an effect on the general film season as a whole. Uh, we know both the Golden Globes and the Oscars are, are pushing back. The Golden Globes are, are now going to be when the Oscars were supposed to be in February, and the Oscars are now going to be in March, and in turn they're also extending their eligibility windows as far as when movies need to come out. Normally Oscar movies had to be released in theaters by December 31st. I think they're extending it almost a full month. So basically what this all means is come, you know, November through January, which is already the busiest couple of months for movie going fans. It's going to be like literally every week, there's going to be three or four high profile movies, which if you're, if you're following along that sort of, you know, awards season, trail you're going to be busy non-stop and and i'm feel like i'm basically going to end up living at a theater through this time <laughs> uh you know going out and seeing two movies every weekend something like that and figuring out what's the the next one that's being released that i can rent or stream from there <laughs> oh yeah me and you both man i think that's going to be i think that's the case with a lot of people because once theaters reopen you know all these films are going to kind of come tumbling out especially the ones that wanted to get made be put in theaters and there's going to be, hopefully, that, that'll mean a big push and a like resurgence in theater attendance and stuff like that. So even though it's, it's been like kind of, you know, sad what's been going on, I think uh, I think there's a lot of hope in the future when it comes to a lot of those different things. I wonder if, you know, movie studios have a wide variety of movies that they're putting in. You know, they've got their their award season bait they've got their tentpole movies they've got their family fair they've got the you know the craft that they gave a budget to and they weren't sure if it was going to be any good i wonder if they're going to maybe start to prioritize once cinema's open like in that six month span what is our most likely bet for getting people into the theaters so obviously the next marvel movie is going to bring out a bunch of people, Fast and Furious movies, things like that. But then as far as like trying to target that customer who wants the best movie possible, not the most popcorn movie possible, if that's going to maybe change and they're like, well, you know, we had this low mid budget and whatever movie, you know, we're just going to sell it to Netflix, get the, get the rights money back for it. And so that way we're not overcrowding, uh, the theater so that way Dune can actually get a real audience that it deserves or, you know, whatever other big prestige film might be. So I'm curious to see how that's going to all shake out. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's a really interesting point. I think there was already that kind of fear right now or like even before this started because, you know, the the main reason a lot of people go to the theaters are like for Marvel films, you know, stuff like that, these big blockbuster popcorn experiences and a lot of more indie films you know like your award season stuff a24 like your more i guess people like arts artsy films 
or I've always been kind of pushed to the side. But it will be interesting to see how that'll change now, because obviously, in order to get people to back in, they're going to have to be releasing these bigger films. And so, like you're saying, where are these, you know, indie films going to really fit in? It's going to be interesting to see how everything's restructured, because I don't think anything's really going to be in the, be the same. Mm-hmm. You know, after all this, I think everything's completely flipped on its head. Anything from which movies are getting funded to, you know, how films are getting, you know, produced and filmed and all the regulations that come with that. And then releases, I think the whole industry, not just in film, but every industry like music or, you know, all the industries that exist. I think there's going to be a, like a big shift with all of them. And it's, kind of scary but it's also exciting too i think there's a i think it's a mixture of the two about my uh of emotions at least in my mind about what's really going to have be happening next it's going to be curious it sort of reminds me a little bit of the writer's strike that i believe happened in in 2005 the wga strike where basically any show that was either in production or in pre-production when the strike happened, basically killed a bunch of shows, either completely they had to cancel them or the quality when they came back was so low that they ended up getting canceled afterwards. But then, you know, a year or two later, you had the all these amazing TV shows and movies coming out because you had these writers that had basically a six-month span where they weren't allowed to legally write something that was being produced so they could write their own passion projects or work on their own stuff. And, and we got lots of great stuff afterwards. I wonder if this time right now is giving creatives this opportunity to maybe work on something that they thought they didn't have time for. And, you know, maybe in two, three years from now, we're still going to be seeing the, I don't want to say the fallout. What's what's the positive term for a fallout? (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) whatever the seeds that is happening right now going to birth later on what because there these trees that are eventually going to grow out of all this so i'm really curious to see how this is all going to shake out in that sense yeah that's very true everything's kind of uncertain right now i guess but yeah that'll be interesting to see how that turns out i know i know some filming has started back up Uh, I, am hearing that some stuff in in Los Angeles is starting back up in Vancouver. I know they're, they're starting to film or they're planning to start filming again in Toronto. We're not filming anything right now yet. So it's going to be interesting to see who is, who's getting back up and running and and what that sort of status is going to be like in, in six months from now. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I was, an article like over in London they're trying to get filming going again and I know they are a little bit in LA like you were saying because I'm I'm not too far away from it and so I've been kind of like I've been getting a lot of news feeds about what the changes are going up there but it seems like you know there's a lot of it's like a really slow process but a lot of these major cities that are known for a lot of their production centers they're all kind of taking this kind of you know slowly um because there's a lot of like health risks, of course. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is interesting to see how that's all going to change. And because it seems like people are ready to go back and start making content again. I think, you know, a lot of creatives have been kind of spending this time, you know, you know, uh, it's been a great time for a lot of creatives to be able to like, you know, work on their scripts, uh, you know, double down on like their pre or post production, wherever they were. 
and kind of maybe kind of uh, like center in on more like to make their stories better. And so that's been an exciting time. But I think now they've had the all these months cooped in. I think they're ready to like get out there and go start making stuff. I know for some of my college friends that are, you know, currently in film school, you know, they've been sending me stuff and we've been sharing stuff back and forth about ideas we have. And we're all really excited to be, you know, back making, I mean, obviously not blockbusters, but, you know, like student films, you know, we want to get out there. We haven't seen each other for a while. We're ready to come back together, you know, bring our minds together and, you know, create something really fun and exciting. And uh, I think, I think we're all missing that kind of collaborative uh, moment right now. So yeah, I, I have a lot of anticipation for the future. For sure. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I know you've been, you said you've been working since the quarantine, so you haven't really been getting the the time off that a lot of other people have been, but it's not like there's really anything else we can do, you know, for the most part, restaurants are doing takeout only, so you're not going out with friends to have dinner, uh, or going out to bars, or going to concerts, or going to theaters, so it's like, even though the world is kind of somewhat normal for some people like yourself where you're still kind of working and getting to go out and see humanity. I've been stuck inside, so I can't. Um, but we're not really spending money on anything that we would normally do for our own personal enjoyment. So I feel like that's really uh, going to take a toll on people. And, and I have to wonder, are these industries going to be the same when we get back? is when theaters decide to open and Tenet finally comes out, are people going to be too scared to go out because they're like, well, you know, I've gone six months without going to a movie theater. I probably can wait a little bit longer until, you know, I know everything is safe or I don't have to wear a mask the whole time or things like that. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And, and same as concerts. All these bands had to cancel their tours and mm -hmm. festivals keep canceling and, and they're trying to reschedule for the fall and then they're having to recancel the cancellation. And, and what's going to happen next year? Is, it, is there going to be an inundation of, you know, new ways to entertain ourselves? Or is it going to take a little bit for things to ramp back up? I, I have no idea. I can, I can explain scenarios where I think either one is possible. Yeah. I mean, I think it also depends on what part of the country you're into. I mean, I, I know you're up in Canada and I'm not really familiar up there, but at least like over here in the U.S., um, I'm in California, which is densely populated especially along the coastline where i am and at least like what from what i've been seeing you know people are dying to get out at this point you know you know people are still wearing masks out and about and stuff like that but i've been seeing a ton of people out and about like walking exercising i've even you know i've been wanting to go to the beach forever so i've been going a couple times and every time i've been down there you know people the beaches are flooded i think we're kind of i think at least in california uh we're at the point where a lot of people just want to get outside. There's that, that cabin fever and you've kind of felt that, that uh, kind of cooped up feeling. And I've seen that in a lot of other people when I've been inter interacting, especially at work and stuff like that. And so I think people are in general, at least from where I am, I don't, I can't say the same for the rest of the country because I'm not from there and I don't know enough, but um, at least in my immediate circle, I think people are ready to kind of like restart. And that means they want to go, back to theaters they i think people want to go to concerts again because people are just so sick and tired of being inside you know so i think i think a lot of those different uh, entertainment industries that are social gatherings i think some people are 
still a little bit worried and scared, which is understandable. But I think a lot more people are kind of like, screw it. Let's just go out there and let's just hang out because they're so tired of being inside. So it's weird, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it works out. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's so much uncertainty for the next little while. Um yeah, I think I think that's a, a really good discussion we've had. Is there, is there anything else you you want to you talk about either in regards to the way we're consuming media, things you're watching, things you want to watch, stuff like that? Um, I mean, the last thing I ha- I think I'd have to say about that is I think people's appreciation for art is going to change. Um, I th- I forgot where the I saw this one tweet and I think it was from Stephen King. And it was really interesting where he said, you know, to all the people that criticize, you know, how important art is, what do you think you've been doing in quarantine? You've been watching movies, TV shows, you're listening to music, you know, you're reading books, you know, people, people need art right now. You know, there's so much going on in the world, you know, especially right now in 2020, it's been a crazy year so far as we reach like the halfway point of the year, which is crazy. and I think people, I think we need it a lot more than we think we do because we need, we need stories. We need things to give us hope. I know for me, I've been, you know, I've been watching a lot of TV shows, uh, just to get my mind off things, movies, you know, I've even been giving, using this as an opportunity to get into books that I haven't read for a while or that I've been wanting to, that I just never got around to because I was too busy. And then even like new music, like music that I had, I've been exploring like new genres of music, if we can go in, like, you know, that kind of avenue. And so that's been really exciting. So I've been, and then I've even, you know, been experimenting like with, you know, different hobbies that I wanted to do, like, you know, photography, you know, just whatever it's been writing, stuff like that. I think, you know, it's been a really exciting time because, you know, all this whole standstill has given us a moment to kind of reflect on our, what our priorities are. And I think it's a really awesome time just for the, just for art in general, you know, all those different industries. And yeah, I don't know. It kind of gives me a lot of hope at the end of the day, I would say. Well, that's, I think that's really well put. I, I too have kind of been trying to enjoy myself and stretch myself creatively, uh, you know, uh, writing a bit more both for myself and, and just for fun, uh, write, writing for, for ContraZoom for this show. I've, I, I did the, the script where I did the history of A24. I'm working on a different script right now, and I've got a couple other ideas down the line. And it's really been the most writing I've done in a very long time, probably since I was in college, actually. Uh, and sometimes it feels a bit like I'm doing homework, but it's homework that I'm, I'm choosing to do. So I'm, I know that by the end, I'll be very happy and satisfied with it. So I'm really enjoying this time. I, I also do photography and it kind of sucks that like I normally do concert photography and I don't, I'm not able to do that because there's no concerts to shoot. And I basically haven't mm-hmm. touched my camera at all this year <laughs> because of it, <laughs> but I am watching a ton of movies. So I kind of feel like I'm back at film school where I'm able to watch so much. I think I've been on letterbox for, for three years now, just over three years and I've already watched 125 movies this year, which is the most I've watched in a single year, and it's only the end of June. So it's going to be crazy to see how the next little bit goes and, and how high I can get that number up to. <laughs> yeah, me and you both, man. Yeah, I've been watching a ton of movies as well. And yeah, I'm definitely just as antsy as you are to like go out and start doing more once all this ends. Yeah. 
Well, awesome. Royce, thank you so much for coming back on the show. And as I said last time, I definitely want to have you on again. So, so thank you. Yeah, no, thank you as well. It's been a really fun discussion. I agree. ContraZoom is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. I'd like to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Uh, let me know what movies you've been watching during this quarantine and when you think you're going to get to the theater and, and all that sort of stuff like that. Email me, ContraZoomPod at gmail.com, and we'll share responses on a future episode. It would be a Great help if you would also rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts as it will help us grow and find new listeners. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.